I want to share two pieces of scripture, one from, um, from 2 Corinthians. Because, you know, I just came back with uh, 40 of us went on the journeys of Paul, and we were with um, a bunch of other United Methodist Church. We were on this um, beautiful cruise, and we got to walk and foot on the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. Um, everybody on the cruise was actually United Methodists, and so the um, educational opportunities that we traveled with, it's pretty cool when you actually they lease out the whole cruise ship. So um, we had a chance to be able to be a part of uh, with other brothers and sisters in the United Methodist Church, and it was just great. And so I, I thought it would be great to be able to talk about um, the generosity of the Apostle Paul this morning. And um, so I want to share a little bit um, from Second Corinthians, and also I want to read something from Hebrews. So here are these words from uh, the second chapter, the ninth, uh, Second Corinthians, the ninth chapter. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have pro- prom- uh, promised, so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an exhortation. The point is this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide with you every blessing and abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work it is written, it scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And from the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter, therefore, since we are surrounded by such, such great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with the race with perseverance that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross and disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of Almighty God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So um, I have a brand new little toy up here. It's, um, it's an iPad, um, and so I thought it, was in- thought it would be interesting. My friend Matt hooked me up with this, and so I thought it would be kind of neat for you all to kind of just to see where we have been on this journey. And so um, we started out on the, in Istanbul, Turkey, and we made our way around, and we went down to this little part of this canal all the way down here, and then we went all over here, and we ended up over here. And this is the first place we went is actually Philippi. And so we had a great visit, and Philippi is an amazing, there's some amazing ruins there, and so uh, Paul had a chance to go there. And then we went on down here, and we made our way over here to Thessaloniki, and then we made our way on down here to Volos, and then up here is uh, Matera, um, which is where I, last week, when you all saw the video clip with, um, uh, with Jeff, and we had paid kind of honor to him, I was actually at that particular place, and there's a beautiful monastery up there. Um, they actually filmed James Bond there, and it was a really cool place, and so we went there. And then we made our way and from all, all the way over here. Then we went all the way over here to Ephesus and had a great trip there. Ephesus is an incredible place. And then we went to down to Santorini and had a great visit there. And then uh, Santorini is one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's a great place. Then we, um, and we finished up our trip and went over here to Athens, and actually we spent a day in Corinth, and then we went back to Athens, and we finished up in Athens, and it was just a an incredible journey that we had a chance to be able to go and be a part of. And so um, um, I, had a, I was just, just taken back um, once we went and did this pilgrimage with the Apostle Paul, and I, I really didn't understand the magnitude of what Paul had to endure. Um, you know, 
we had it pretty good because we were on an ocean liner, right? We were on a cruise ship. He didn't have that. Um, we were running around in a really nice uh, charter bus. He was walking around the foot. Do you know how many, actually, how many miles Apostle Paul actually traveled? 10,000 miles. Made his way from place to place to place. And so, you know, he had three different journeys. On the fourth journey, he actually ends up in Rome to be able to plead his case. I actually preached on that just a couple of weeks ago. And, and so I thought it would be really interesting just to look at the generosity of the Apostle Paul today. So, um, true story. Um, uh, I, I thought uh, this is kind of an interesting twist. Um, I, so I had the privilege to be there, and there was a bunch of people on the ship from all over America, um, United Methodist. And so um, Church of Resurrection was there. They had, I think they had 240 people there. Adam Hamilton was on there. He's a, that church is the largest United Methodist church in America. And I uh, had a great visit with him and had a chance to talk a little bit about our, our ministries. And so Adam invited me at the end to be actually lead the communion time together. And so I said, Adam, if it's okay, you know, before I get up and actually bless the elements, can I give me a little devotion? He said, sure, that'd be great, Harold. So I had a chance to kind of wrap things up. And so, um, and I actually was honest, we also had a panel that I was a part of as well. So there was other pastors up there. So by the time that the whole cruise, it wasn't that big of a ship. I mean, it was only like four or 500 of us. So by the time I got to the end of the week, almost everybody knew I was because I'd been out in front of the people. So um, um, it was the last night. And so after we finished the devotion, James Ridgway gets up. He was the president of EO. And he was actually on the cruise. He's a very good friend of mine. And he reminded us, he says, now listen, at nine o'clock, you need to put your bags out. And he and said, because, you know, uh, the porter's going to come by at 9 o'clock in the evening. So he says, now listen, make sure, make sure, you make sure that when you pack your bag, make sure you leave clothes out. <laughs> because we've had a people have packed everything and they're running around in their jammies and they're trying to figure out what to do. And so I kind of laughed at that. And I thought, well, okay, right. I mean, who would really do that, right? And so, uh, so... <laughs> I, I go to my room, I get all my stuff together, and, um, and so I'm getting, I have this big suitcase, and, and so what's interesting is when they get, when you get on this cruise ship, they give you this little pass, and this little bat pass, it's like, it's your boarding pass, and so it's your ticket, it actually becomes almost like your passport, and, um, and it's really, really important, so not only it gets you inside your door, but it also is your passport when you get off the cruise and get back on, you have to have this card. So I was really good. I was very protective of this. And so I had, and every time I go out my door, I always had it in my pocket. I always check twice. So this last night, I get my luggage all ready, get all my stuff ready. I had my stuff laid out. I had my extra clothes laid out. Everything was perfect. And so I was about to take a shower, and I'm just sitting there in my underwear, literally. I'm in my underwear. I had no shirt on. I had no socks on. I had no shoes on. I, I was literally in my underwear. And I said, well, I'll just stick my bag. It's, oh, gosh, it's 9 o'clock. I get my bag, and I walk out the door, and I put it by the door, and I hear the door click behind me. <laughs> and I do not have this. And I am in my underwear. And everybody in the ship knows who I am. <laughs> True story, I'm not making that up. I can't make that up. This is right out of I Love Lucy. I'm just telling you. So I see the, uh, one of the guys who works on this ship, and I said, hey, man. He looks at me, he's like, what are you doing? And um, I said, well, I've got a problem. I said, can you call either my, my the guy who's been, his name was Winston. He was like, take care of my room. And I actually had a guy named Alan who was my butler. I never had a butler in my life, but it was really cool to have a butler for one week of my life. It'd probably be the only time I have a butler, but it was really cool. And so I said, can you call one of them to maybe get me back into my room? And he says, sure. And so he gets on the phone. He can't get in touch with anybody. And 
and he keeps calling everybody. And it's like after 10 minutes, he says, I can't find anybody. Come unlock your door. And I said, he says, you're going to have to go down to the main desk. Event. And I said, I am, whoa, 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 whoa. I am not going down to the main desk in my underwear. He didn't think anything of it. Sure. Like, no, 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 no. That would be a little embarrassing. And so he finally got Winston to come and unlock the door. Yeah. That was the way my trip ended up. I'm running around half naked, running around a cruise ship. Um, and, and so, you know what's interesting? You know, I, I make that a joking way, but um, it really, um, it, you know, I think about the things in my life. That really wasn't the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I've had a lot of other things that have happened to me that are a whole lot worse. It was a little embarrassing, but it wasn't the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I found this great quote this week, and um, it's from Frederick Beekner. And uh, something happened to me this week that reminded me of this quote. And this is how it goes. Maybe I might, here it is. The worst isn't the last thing about the world. It's the next to last thing. The last thing is the best. It's the power from on high that comes down into the world that wells up from the rock bottom worst of the world like a hidden spring. Can you believe it? The last... The best thing is the laughing deep in the hearts of the saints, sometimes our hearts even. Yes, you are terribly loved and forgiven. Yes, you are healed. All is well. And so you know what it reminds me is the, the, the worst thing isn't the last thing. But the last thing is the best thing. It's the gift of the resurrection. And that's why we're here today. Let me say it again. So the worst thing isn't the last thing. But the last thing is the best thing. Can I get amen on that? Okay, good. Um, So, you know, I I had a chance to reflect upon um, something that happened to me this last week. And it, once again, it reminded me of this particular quote. The worst thing is not the last thing. So my father-in-law, um, Carl, was in the hospital this last week. I, I just got back from the trip, and Adonna says, um, we, we need to go see my father. And she'd already gone to see him two or three times. And she said, but Harold, I want you to see him. So we went, drove to Lakeland um, that evening and um, drove up to the Lakeland Memorial Hospital there. And, um, and so my wife, Donna, says, you know, Harold, um, why don't you drive up front of the hospital here? Because sometimes you can get a parking spot right up close. And but not normally because usually everybody gets the best parks. And so when I drove up, I noticed that there was a parking person pulling out right when we drove up. And I thought, wow, this is my lucky day, right? And so they pulled out and I pulled in. And, um, and so as I pulled in, I looked to the left-hand side and I saw the ER. And, it, and then I said it, and I don't even know where it came from, but I said it in an off, kind of off-cuff remark to my wife. I said, you know, that's where my dad died. And um, I got out of the car, and I began to walk with Donna down the sidewalk. And I I lost it. I I had not cried that hard in seven and a half years since my father had died. And um, I don't even know where that came from, to be honest with you. I I literally have not cried that hard. I mean, it wasn't just a cry. It was a wailing cry. And... um, it just reminded me how much I really loved and appreciated my father. And um, reminds me that, you know, 
you think you maybe you've gotten past it, but then sometimes something can trigger something and just brings it all back. Yeah. Just like watching all the saints up on the screen just a minute ago. And so I'm sitting there, and um, I just went, and I literally just sat down on the curb, and I just cried. And my wife comes over, and she starts rubbing my back. She says, Harold, it's going to be okay. And, um, and so I went in um, to the hospital. I washed my face off, and I put a smile on my face, and I went and saw my father-in-law. Anyone reminded me of this week? And, I, I, and now this, you all might think, you know, Harold, this is a little weird, but, you know, I am weird. And... Um, <laughs> And so I, I made a list this week uh, because of this quote just got to me. Uh, you know, by the way, the, the worst thing isn't the, um, isn't the last thing. The, the, the last thing is the best thing. It's the gift of the resurrection. So may, I made the list of the things like what I would see as like my five worst things. But then what's beautiful about that is that every, even though I've overcome and we have walked through these kind of worst things in my life, I continue to cling to the hope of Jesus Christ. Because the worst thing isn't the last thing. I'm still here. Um, I thought, okay, so I talked about my father. I thought about the moment when I thought I was about to quit the ministry. I remember walking across the parking lot at Faith United Methodist, and I'm saying, Lord, I don't know if I can preach today. I'm about to give up. That was a, that was a bad day. Um, I remember when I was in my car accident, and uh, that wasn't the worst Day. The worst day was when I got this incredibly terrible infection from the incisions that I had on my body. And then the, I went to the infectious disease doctor, and they started pumping up with all these IVs and these antibiotics. And then the nurse comes out to me, and she says, You know, Harold, if this doesn't work, they're going to have to start all over again with you and take everything out. That was not real encouraging words. I think that was the lowest point. And then having to admit um, one of my sons into the psychiatric unit. That was a bad day. But the worst thing is not the last thing. The last thing is the best thing. It's the gift of Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting is um, the Apostle Paul talks about his worst things. Like, for example, you find it in 2 Corinthians. This is what Paul says about his worst things. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Well, that's almost enough right, right there. But he keeps on going. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day, I was adrift at sea on frequently journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from our, my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers and sisters and toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry, thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And besides all of this, I'm under daily pre- pressure from the anxiety of my churches. Who was weak? I'm not weak. It was maybe to stumble. I'm not indignant. Paul. Paul describes his own worst things in a very clear way. It's amazing. So what I thought was intriguing to me about this story is going around to the apostle, following Apostle Paul's footsteps and going to all these amazing places, Ephesus, Philippi, and Corinth, and Stianiki. Wow, it's incredible. And so what's interesting on Paul's third journey um, 
he was a man on a mission, and the mission wasn't just not only to be able to preach the gospel of, to the people, and especially specifically to the Gentiles, but he was also collecting um, an offering to take back to the church in Jerusalem. And this church was not made of Gentiles. It was primarily made of Jewish Christians. And so Paul is this man on the mission to share the good news, but he's also going along. And what I read in 2 Corinthians today, he was emphatically pleading with the people to be able to give and to be give generously. And they're not going to reap from this. They're, he's going to take the offering back to Jerusalem, and he's going to give it to them because they're going through this famine, which is amazing to me. So Paul, um, as he arrives there, and he's just about to get to Jerusalem, I thought this is really interesting. And um, the people meet Paul, and they greet Paul, and this is what they basically said to Paul. He says, we have, we, when we heard this, we are, and the people there urged him, Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, hey, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, what Paul's saying, hey, listen, what are they going to do? They're going to kill me? And if they do, that's, um, that's really not the worst thing. The worst thing is really not the last thing. The last thing is the greatest thing. I love that about Paul. So Paul goes in and he makes his plea. He says, one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give according to what you've God's calling you to do. One of the most amazing places that we had a chance to go, I thought, as I really enjoyed, really powerful, was going to Corinth. And Paul is um, writing back to the church of Corinth. And so what's very interesting about um, Paul writing back to the Corinth is that, um, and he makes this plea for the offering, but we find in Corinthians that evidently there is turmoil in the church of Corinth. And her word has gotten back to Paul. And so we know that word has gotten back to Paul because when you read the, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he, it seems as if he's going through his checklist of things that he has heard that they're struggling with. For example, he says now, and he would say this over and over and over again. He says, now concerning this, now concerning this, so now concerning your, this, marriage, or concerning sexuality, or concerning lawsuit. By the way, they were suing each other. He says, that's a bad idea. Don't sue your other brother, other brother in Christ. Now, don't do that. Um, concerning food offerings. And so over and over again, we find that Paul is, well, focusing on loving each other rather than pounding each other and suing each other and taking advantage of each other. And that's what Paul find, we find in Corinthians over and over again. And then we find this great chapter in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. It's a love chapter, right? Have you ever gone to a wedding? Every wedding I've ever done, guess what? I've always read 1 Corinthians 13. By the way, when we were in Corinth, I had a chance to renew vows with all the couples there, and they just loved it. It was great. But you know what's interesting about the 1 Corinthians 13? It has absolutely nothing to do with marriage ceremonies, zero. But we read it. It's a great chapter, right? You know what it's about? It's about Paul pleading with his brothers and sisters in Corinth that they were actually out to get each other and they were struggling with all these different answers. And Paul says, listen, the most important thing is faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. He's talking about loving each other. Yeah. You know, there's a lot going on in the world these days, isn't there? We've got a war in Ukraine got the war going on between the Palestinians and the Jewish people and the Israel. It's just awful. It's just awful. And then that kind of has leaked out across the world, hasn't it? I, I thought this was really interesting. I was watching the news this last week, and I saw that even there was a lot of turmoil in college campuses. 
And it was heartbreaking to hear that. Um, I, I thought this was really interesting. I, I heard, and I wrote this quote down. It was a kid from UCLA. I guess maybe he's maybe a sophomore. This is what he said. He says, you know, we, don't, we do not have to see people as Jewish people, and we don't have to see people as Muslim people. We should just see people as people. I thought that was pretty powerful. So my, my friend Luke, my, my son Luke, I was texting him during this trip and sending him pictures back. And Luke's been, and Luke has always been my, he's my middle kid, and he's always the one who's always trying to be peace. He's the mediator and moderator of everything that's ever gone on in our family. And, and so Luke has always been for the underdog. And so I, I, I was texting him, and he texts back. I said, what are you doing today? He says, well, Dad, I'm actually going to go to a, a, a rally that's for the Palestinian people. And um, I said, please be careful. And, um, and so what's interesting, and um, he has a really good friend. Her name is Rahab. Here's a picture of Luke and Rahab. And, and so I said, Luke, how is Rahab dealing with this? She's Muslim. She's not, she's not from Palestine. She's from Pakistan. But she's Muslim. I said, how is she dealing with all this turmoil that's going on? He says, not good, Dad. You know, she, every time she actually has to get in her car and then she's going to work, she has to look behind her back. And when she gets out of her car and she's going to work, by the way, Rahab's a doctor also. Her focus is clinical psychology. Luke's a clinical psychologist. She works, he works with adults, and she works with children. She works with children. And so um, I, I thought it was a really powerful message that Luke had shared to me because he has a very close friend who happens to be Muslim, and he's living that with her to see the experience that she's going through just because she's Muslim. But she's not even from Palestine. But she's labeled. So then I sent some other pictures to Luke. And I sent a picture of this. Can you show that mixed picture of the Parthenon and Pastor? So I picture of this, of me on the top of the mountain at the Parthenon up in Greece. By the way, this is an amazing place. And they, you can see some of the cranes going on there, and they're refurbishing that. After 2,500 years, the Greeks find it a site. You know what? We might need to remodel this a little bit. So I thought that was interesting. So I sent him this picture, and he says, Dad, that is the coolest picture ever. That's where Socrates used to hang out. He thought that was really cool. Yeah. So I was thinking about, you know, Corinth. Greece. And what's amazing is when you go to these key places and um, go, um, I thought was amazing is that um, Paul went and he collected these offerings and um, he took them back to Jerusalem. And you don't miss the detail in this. I didn't realize, but I learned this this last week. So Paul finally gets there and they warn him, don't go. You, maybe this is not a good idea. You know, they, you might be persecuted. And Paul says, well, the worst thing is really not the last thing, right? So he takes all these offerings that he's been collecting for over, I don't know, maybe a couple of years. And he gets back to Jerusalem. And he turns over the offerings. And you know what you get? Nothing. And which sends us the signal that when Paul presented the offerings to that church is that maybe they were just completely ungrateful. Because there's no mention in, or in the scripture you would have thought that when Paul said, he hands over the offering, with a, wow, this is amazing, Paul. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for all, your, all the Gentile Christian churches and they've given sacrificially to be able to give to us. This is an amazing offering. God bless you and your churches. This is wonderful. Nothing, silence, crickets. Which reminds us sometimes we can just take generosity 
for granted. And we shouldn't do that. So Paul goes and he hands over this, these offerings and he turns them over to them and, and he says, here's the offering. You know what I thought was really interesting and they don't seem like they appreciate it. I thought it was really interesting this week as I was reflecting upon people in my life that have been the saints that have run the race before us and, and um, what Paul did for, for us to be here today. I mean, he was one of the great movers of the Christian church. So I started thinking about, you know, how Paul was like, and I had this image that came to my mind, that Paul was like the compass. In fact, I wrote this quote down. I woke up in the middle of the night, four o'clock in the morning, and this is what I wrote. Paul was the compass. He showed people the way. Paul had pointed the way to the one who was the way. Can you say it with me? Paul was the compass. He showed people the way. Paul pointed the way to the one who was the way. Yeah, I just thought about that at 4 o'clock in the morning. I thought, you know, i got to get up and actually write that down. And I thought of all the people who helped me get from here to there. That someday when I get to heaven, there are all these saints that have run the race before me. And I thought about my friend Chuck Malyu. Here's a picture of me and Chuck in Jerusalem. I love Chuck so much. And a lot of times on All Saints Day, I mention him. And so Chuck was one of my greatest friends. And he actually worked for Walt Disney. He was one of the executives for Walt Disney. And so what I thought was interesting is that one day... Um, the, um, evidently, the people at the airport, the Orlando airport, asked Disney about how to navigate. How do you get people around Disney World? Because they actually study this. And so, they, um, so um, Orlando came to Disney and said, how do you get people around the airport? What would be the best way to do this? So I want to tell you something. When you go to the brand new airport, Terminal C, where all the international flights out go out, it's beautiful. It's awesome. You know what's amazing about it? They have clearly marked every little thing. I mean, you could be dumber than a red breast and you can still get around there. It's amazing. Just follow the signs, right? I mean, you might get a little bit lost, but you're going to find your way because they've done an unbelievable job to be able to help you navigate, which is the opposite of what you find in Frankfurt, in, in Frankfurt Germany. You get off the plane, it's all chaos, and things are written in different languages, and people are zip-zapping around. And I actually went to the front gate of this one lady who was um, at the gate security, and I asked her, and I said it innocently. I said, hey, listen, I have this TSA pass, and uh, can I go through this particular way? And she started screaming at me, no, you can't do this. I thank you very much much. I appreciate that. And, and so I have her, and then I have this other guy. I spent a week with this other person on the ship. Um, can you show a picture of Alan for me, my, my butler? Here's Alan. Al, I loved Alan. Alan was amazing. I'd say, hey, Alan, can I have a Coca-Cola? Yes, Pastor Harold, I'll be right there. Alan, can I have a little ice? Oh, yes, Pastor Harold, I'll be right there. Alan was amazing. You know what I thought about Sunday? Someday, someday, I'm going to get to heaven. And I could just see people who are waiting for me and waiting for you, who are the opposite of what I confront with the, the woman in Germany at the, at the TSA checkpoint screaming at me. That's not what we're going to find in heaven. We're going to find a bunch of Allens in heaven. Can I amen on that? Yeah. So, so I close with this. Um, a last little thought for the day. Um, is that, you know, on, on my closing devotion, I talked about briefly um, things about that I learned from my trip. And the first thing was this. I, I learned that I was watching this lady who was um, a young girl. Uh, I think she was from Philippines, and she was a, uh, she was a cleaner on the boat. And so I, I, it was really quiet. There was a later in the evening, and I was walking down the stairs, and she's sitting there cleaning the door. 
The door was already clean, but she was cleaning the door. She got a little rag, she had a little bucket, she was dipping in the water, and she's cleaning the door. And you know what she's doing? She's singing. And I just sat back and listened to her sing. And I said, don't we wish we all have a song in our heart? And we do have a song in the heart. His name is Jesus Christ. Um, uh, the second thing is, every day when I would wake up, I would be up on the ship running around the, the loops on the ship, and um, I would see the sunrise. As a matter of fact, here's a picture of the sunrise, and this is over Thessaloniki. It's beautiful. It reminds me every single day that it's a gift from God, and we should never take it for granted because it's a generous gift. And the third thing was, and we went to this um, uh, Greek Orthodox monastery. As a matter of fact, it was um, uh, mentioned up in Madeira. And, um, and so can you see that picture? This is, can you imagine building a monastery on top of that? That was crazy, right? So this is where we were. They built these monasteries. Up, and it's inside these monasteries. They have this chapel. As a matter of fact, here's the inside the picture of this chapel. It's a Greek Orthodox. Every inch of that particular monastery had a mosaic, some kind of painting. And what was really powerful is that, and here's my last little thought, for today is that this was to me one of the things that really spoke to my heart is this particular portrait and here's the portrait and you are thinking that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen and you know what's really powerful about it this is this was in the chapel you have like all these little um, you have this like this little devil person over here right then you have the angels over here and then you have these the scale that goes like this and what's interesting is do you see how the scale is tipped now what's interesting is that you have these this devil that's and these are little these little um, scrolls. I, I'm assuming they're sins. It's all your sins. So the devil's holding all your sins. And what's interesting is, and this guy pointed. I would have never noticed this, but the guy points out the 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 scale is tilted in this favor. It's the opposite. The weight of this should be tilted the, this direction. But yet, it's not. And you know what this spoke to me? I thought it was really powerful. It reminded me of God's amazing grace. Because of God's love found in Jesus Christ and his unconditional love for all of us, the scale is tipped in our favor. Even though the sins that we have, you and I have committed, way outweigh what God has continued, it's amazing what God continues to give to us. This is amazing grace. I'm grateful for that. That God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thanks be to God. And I'm here to remind you all today, the worst thing is not the last thing. The last thing is the greatest thing. It's the best thing. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.